to 1.37 p.m.'s Live from the Bar Cart. A look into the style, culture, strength, and grind of the modern-day man. This is 1.37 p.m. Live from the Bar Cart. I'm Ryan Harwood, CEO of 1.37 p.m., and I had a chance to sit down with old friend and colleague Andy Roddick, last American Grand Slam champ. We spoke about all things tennis and his career, as well as life after tennis with the Andy Roddick Foundation and how he's currently investing his wealth. And here's my conversation with Andy. Welcome to 1.37 p.m.'s Live from the Bar Cart. I'm here today with a friend and colleague, Andy Roddick. Uh, I substituted in to do this interview today, uh, which I don't normally do, because I have two major, major passions in the sports world. One is the NBA and basketball, and the other is tennis. So this is a huge privilege, and I'm very, very excited to be talking to Andy. Welcome, Andy. Thank you, Ryan. And we're going to try to break up this conversation into um, into two parts. I want to go deep into the tennis world and kind of your career there. I have personally so many questions that I'm excited to well, ask. They, they don't know that we played. That's true. Nobody yeah. knows that. Ryan used to beat me in juniors all the time. No, that is not true at He's all. He's the best. <laughs> I definitely did not beat Andy in juniors, <laughs> but I do know Andy for a very long time. Um, you know, we grew up playing together in the national juniors. Obviously, our careers took different paths, but um, it's been awesome to watch how his career progressed, and that's why I am so personally fascinated to ask a lot of questions here. Um, but yeah, so the first half I want to talk about tennis, and then the second half I want to talk a little bit about life after tennis and what you've been up to. Sure. All right, awesome. So let's let's start at the beginning. I'm super curious about why you started tennis to begin with, like how you got into it, what attracted you to the sport. Yeah, I, I mean, it's as simple as you, you kind of do what your older siblings do, right? Uh, so I, I had a brother, John, who was a uh, uh, a good player, you know, junior national team. He was an All-American at Georgia, uh, six years older than me. So my mom would have to, you know, take him to tennis lessons. And I ended up hitting against like a backboard or a wall while he was, you know, around it. So it's like anything your brother does, you want to do. So it's 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 pretty much as simple as that. Was there something specific that attracted you to the sport after a while? Or was it literally just you were around it at all times? Uh, I, I, I think it started with proximity. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's just because I was, I was there. Um, and then I took it up and, you know, being a kid and being good at the adult, you like doing things that you're good at and kids, you like doing things that you're good at, you know? So I, I kind of took to it pretty quickly, uh, liked it, won a couple little tournaments and then you, you kind of become, uh, uh, quasi obsessed with it. It gets a a little bit more serious, the better you get. And then, uh, it kind of was just like a downhill snowball from there. But, you know, I, I actually don't remember much from before I, I played really, you know, I think I played from, I remember like the first clinic, you're like four years old and you don't really play anything. You, you they're these big, like Snoopy cardboard cutouts and you like throw tennis balls at it. And <laughs> like, it was, it was just always fun for me. Did you have to give up any other sports in order to go all into tennis? At, at a certain point. Yeah. Um, I, I played a lot of sports, you know, soccer and baseball and, uh, which I think is important for kids. Um, you know, and I always say parents are like, what should I do? Which, which right. sports do we choose? I go, well, that sport normally chooses you, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain point. So it probably 11 I started focusing, and you're playing, you know, national tournaments and starting to win some of those. So it's yeah. like we should probably spend some time. And tough thing about tennis is it it doesn't really give you the the, the seasonality of other sports like baseball. It's like you can focus on it for four or five yep. months, whatever it is. Tennis, it's kind of like all the time. All so the time. it's it's tough if you want to take it seriously, not to kind of go go in on it. I read somewhere that at age 17, you considered actually quitting the sport. Is that 
actually true? Is that accurate or not? Really? Uh, I don't think quitting. I, I think it was uh, 16. I remember being at, at Wimbledon and I, I won a match in juniors. And then I lost this guy named Michael Trojan, Trojan second round of junior Wimbledon. And this guy kind of was already balding. He looked like <laughs> he might have had three kids somewhere. Like, I, it, and I lost to him, okay. and then Guillermo Coria, who is a, ended yeah. up being a really good pro, uh, was like the best junior I've ever seen. Beat this guy the next round, zero and zero. Wow! And I was like, I suck. So it was a mental. It was thing. like I'm the worst ever. <laughs> I lost to this guy, and then he lost zero and zero. And so it was like practicing the next day with our coach. He made me go out, and I ended up throwing all rackets overboard. Like there was like woods next to court, just chucked them. <laughs> I was like, it wasn't quitting. I was like, I'm just not going to play until I go to college. Cause you can get a free ride. You know, at that point I was, I, I wasn't, I, I was so far away from being a professional, but, yeah. uh, I still would have been a, a good college player and kind of gone where I wanted to. So, uh, quitting is, is probably an exaggeration of that story. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of playing sparingly until I went to college and kind of giving up on a pro dream. That was probably close. Wow. So you considered actually at some point going to play college tennis? Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't I, I was good in juniors, but I, there's such a big difference between being five or six in the country and making a living. Yeah, uh, it's just the Huge. the gap is like in, in, insane. So, um, yeah, I was kind of always gonna go to college um, and play, uh, and, and then kind of the results it it, it went quick. Uh, you know, I was at the end of. Uh, that year, where three months after the story that we just talked about, I won, you know, Eddie Hearn Orange Bowl, which are two big junior tournaments, uh, Junior Australian Open right away, and then I'm number one in the world in juniors out of nowhere, and you know, the, the USTA had cut me from funding six months earlier, wow, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to get signed by like brands, you know, like, and then so it's like you're choosing between your offers, and I'm going, how did this happen? And okay, yeah, now I can turn pro because I can actually, you know, kind of uh, pay for myself. Um, you know, so it was, it, it just happened so quick. It's like you work a lifetime. As soon as you're like, I don't think this is going to work out. Yeah. You know, I, I met a guy named Tariq Benhabilas, who was a, a, a former touring pro, lived up the street from me somehow. Um, wow. Something worked there. And then, you know, uh, a year and a half later, I was 15 in the world in, in, in the actual men's game. Wow. So it went quick. I didn't realize that. So it like literally went like that in terms of not 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 sure if you were going to actually make it in the ATP Tour Pro. I, w- I wasn't going to. Yeah, and yeah. then j- what do you think that what do you think happened there? Did was it actually like developing something like your serve, or was it something mental? Uh, yes, to all that. Okay. Um, I I was practicing with uh, my good friend Marty Fish, who okay. ended up being a, a world class player, and uh, I used to kind of have a normal service motion that was you know my my service motion was weird. It was like this quick jerky thing, um, but I could hit it hard. Uh, but I didn't always have that. So I was practicing with Marty and I used to have a normal service motion and he was just drilling me. I mean, just taking it to, taking it to me. And I got pissed, walked up, took this little half motion, hit it as hard as I could. And the ball went in. And so I did it the next time and the ball went in and then I had a good serve. Really? Mm. So nobody even taught you it. You literally, wow. No, it was, it was pure petulance and frustration. That's insane. Yeah. And then, you know, you grow. I was... 5'2", 110 pounds, like a Dodge Raindrops my sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. You grow seven inches. I couldn't hardly walk for a year because I grew so much. But then <laughs> you gain some weight, and all of a sudden, you know, 110 turns into 125 when you're serving, and then you, you fill out a little bit. So it was kind of all of those things. But 
Uh, Tariq Benabilis was a huge thing. You know, he he, he kind of coached me the right way, understood the nuances, and I took to it pretty quick. And confidence is a is a crazy thing. Crazy it's thing. just people talk about experience. Yep. I'll take form and confidence over all the experience in the world. Yep. You know, ignorance is but give me some ignorance and some confidence, and, 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 and athlete can show you something. That's funny you say that because when I when I actually pivoted from my finance career into digital media it was completely out of ignorance sure i had no clue what i was getting myself into and it was also irrational confidence based on some research i did i actually thought i found a white space and whether i did or not was a completely different story sure but the research told me that i had yeah. the confidence to do it and jumped in so I, I completely agree with you there yeah so i want to talk about mindset for a second um you hold 32 career titles you won the u.s open grand slam singles champion you were ranked number one in the world. So I actually broke something out here from your past, from our past, where we have the rankings here, okay? <laughs> this is the rankings from my second year 16s, your first year 16s. You and Marty right there. You see that? Marty and Andy were 26 and 27. I'm right back there at 51 in, in the country. There we go. I see it. But look at all those guys all the way to the I left. Mean, I, know, I know every one of these names. How still. crazy is that? I know. It's insane. My question, though, sure. and I've always wondered this, is like, why you and Marty? Like, why the fuck did you yeah. guys make it? Look at all the, how good these guys on the left they are. Yeah. What do you think made you guys take the leap? Was it skill? Was it something mental? Was it work ethic? Like, why you guys? Marty's talented. So I, I, I don't think we're going to have the same answer okay. for both of us. Interesting. I think he would tell you the same thing. I mean, I, I was talking to him this morning, but... You know, he's more talented than I am. He has better racket skills than I do. Um, you know, uh, he, he was going to kind of be a rocket ship. I, I'm looking at, like, I'm looking at these names now, and yeah. I think uh, athleticism. I think you can get away with hitting shots when you're 15, 16, and you serve, and you're, you're a lot of these guys were just bigger. Yep. Um, then you kind of grow into yourself, and, you know, you, most kids look different at 14, 15, which is what I was here, and 17. Mm -hmm. You know, these kids look like they were 17 when they were 14. So yeah. that that might be something. I definitely did. Um, uh, yeah, you had like a beard when you were 12. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very true. Um, I don't know. I, I We had, you know, similar coaches. Uh, you know, Marty, I think, was just as soon as he decided he was going to go, he's just that talented. Um, I think ego matters. You know, I, I think ego really matters. Uh you know, if I I, I kind of had like a maybe a healthy jealousy, you know, the guys ahead of me, I'm looking at the guys my age, I'm going, man, I, I got to beat that guy. Like, come yeah. on. I'm like, Nick Weiss is 11. Yeah. Like, I can't be behind Nick Weiss. <laughs> so I, I had that kind of chip on the shoulder. I don't even know chip on the shoulder. Just like it was either it was a mix of insecurity and ego, mm -hmm. um, which drove me. But uh, I, I don't have a good answer. I think athleticism matters. At a certain point, you have to be a really good athlete as opposed yep. to maybe just a good tennis player. Totally. Um, you know, it's like the skill set of I can I can play pool, throw darts, and throw a football, but that doesn't mean I can run. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you kind of have, have to have both, um, <clears throat> especially in tennis. This is hilarious, by the way. It's amazing, right? Yeah. You know, they, they say that the, the difference between the number 100-ranked player in the world and the number 10 player mm -hmm. in the world is minor, right? I... I don't know if I was always able to appreciate that not having been on the tour and like playing versus number hundred, number ten. Yeah. But do you like people like to say, or at least they used to say, maybe it's different now, but they used to say it was all mental. The difference between hundred and number ten was mental, not skill. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's accurate? Um, it's like what's more important. I, I don't think you can say it's 
I, I don't think you can deal in absolutes. Okay. Right. With, with that, I, I think. Uh, you know, the, the especially it's less and less when the margin change. The difference between fifty and twenty is 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 negligible. I think. A hundred and ten, you're probably looking at a different type of athlete. Okay. Um, you know, if you're looking at a like a Gail Mumphies versus, you know, someone who I love and I think he absolutely maximizes his career. But if you look at like Gail Mumphies versus like a Michael Russell, yep, um, who was you know kind of shorter totally. and just just maximized but didn't have. The huge serve, the physical gifts. He was a little smaller, just a worker. Yeah. Now, if you gave Michael Russell's uh, intangibles mm-hmm. to a Gail Mumphis, who's just an unbelievable athlete and super skill set, Gail Mumphis would have been challenging for slams. Mm-hmm. You know, so you kind of have to have that that special hybrid. But um, yeah, the margins are insane, and we'll, we'll can get into like a you know specific matches and moments and what you know a point here or there. Like it actually makes a difference in the way people look at your career. I mean, yeah. it's it's a big difference, and it's you can miss some, execute something perfectly, miss it by half an inch, and it might have lifelong ramifications. I mean, it, it, the, the margins are, are, you know, it's 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 a tightrope rope act sometimes. Yeah, it reminds me of Al Pacino's uh, every given Sunday speech. It's game is a game of inches. Yeah. it's a game of inches. Yeah, it is. It really even tennis cliches. So. You know, people overuse them, but they kind of exist for a reason. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, it's true. Even when I go out and play practice sets versus my friends now, it's one of those things where, like, you literally, if it, you you had, a, you had a break point in the first game, you don't convert, yep. and then they end up winning the set. But if you converted that first game and that break point, the yeah. whole set probably I mean, I, 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 I'll get off on a tangent here for a second, but uh, I was talking about it yesterday, and someone was kind of drilling down on me about uh, this match that I had kind of forgotten, and a, a lot of kind of the rhetoric around my career is, a, what if at Wimbledon, or, mm-hmm. you know, a couple times, and you know, Fed goes down and maybe you're looking at five or six slams and like the what if game never ends. But I go, man, like I almost had zero. Like I was down a match point in two sets against now Banyan the year I won the U.S. Open. You were. I was down two sets, uh, six, five and a breaker. And wow. just to give you like a little you know, kind of what what the mindset is and what what you're kind of going through um, down five, six. I'm a point away from being out of the U.S. Open. I've never been playing wow. better. And I'm like, I won everything that summer. I beat Roger that summer, which is like seeing Bigfoot. <laughs> and so I know that now Banyan knows I want to go T. He's going to be leaning on it. Yeah. Now it's just a matter of do I have enough gas to get it past him? He'd been all over my serve. So I'm like, okay, we're going low percentage. We're going out wide flat. 20% lower percentage serve. Mm-hmm. Like, So we're, we're, we're rolling the dice a little bit. I clear the net by an inch. He guesses T. You know, kind of hits a little dribbler, reacts, nothing. Uh, you get out of the set. I miss that serve. He munches the second serve. It's like, what does it look like? What does it look like? And it, you're not in the Hall of Fame. You know, you're not, it's it's just, but like that little moment of decision, you know, and the difference between making the right decision and wrong decision is execution. It's not actually the decision. Yeah. You know, it's executing. That's it's like having an idea in business and, you know, ideas are fine, but how you execute all the minutia, all the details, that's what actually, it's not the idea. It's It's who's executing it. 100%. It's funny when I when I actually first started Pure Wow, which is the women's lifestyle digital media company, sister company to one thirty seven PM, everyone told me that the women's space was crowded. And, you know, why are you doing this? There's so many women's publications out there. You've got Conde, you've got Hearst, you've got Time Inc., all these things and and it's funny, I, I kind of completely zoned it out. Maybe irrationally, but I zoned it out in the sense that I was like, I just think I can do this better than they're doing it. Sure. I think that they're have some legacy tied to it and there's a way to do it a little bit better so it, it execution really sure. is everything um talking about the hall of fame you just mentioned you got your ring last night right yeah it's in my backpack there yes <laughs> i gotta check that out afterwards watching 
those highlights on the screen, being in the stadium, chills or like doesn't do it for you anymore? No, no. I mean, those those. Listen, I, I and I, I I said it during the speech last night, and I said it when I got inducted at the ceremony last year, like trying to connect the the nine year old version of myself who stuck into the old stadium, which is Louis Ar- Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I was nine years old. I didn't have a stadium ticket. I snuck in and watched all of those Connors matches in '91 oh, and lost my mind like I just absolutely lost my mind loved it and then all of a sudden you fast forward to the moment like Connors coaches me for two years it's like what is what is going on this is insane (laughs) you know and you 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 win the tournament it's like that's you know 12 years later it's not that long in the grand scheme of it and then you know then you're on court last night and Stan Smith is presenting you with it's like it it, it, it's it's reality right now but it's like it's like a pump the brakes like this isn't it's hard for me to connect what has become reality with like the fan version of myself at, at at nine years old and so last night was another one of those things like you never think you're gonna be back on arthur ash stadium six years after you retire and they're presenting you with a hall of fame ring yeah. and like it, it just that was never even in my thought process I was like i i, I want to like make some money and make a living and like try to kick some ass you know yeah. it's it's like it was that simple it's it's unreal to even hear that you yeah know? um who were some opponents you hated playing against? Guys that just gave your game trouble. Yeah, so you know, people ex- will probably expect to hear Roger right away, but like Roger was, it was almost like simpler because it was. Listen, my top level, his top level. I'm probably not gonna. It like it was actually more pressure against a guy like, mm-hmm. like Leighton Hewitt, who is a fucking animal. I mean, just a best competitor I've ever seen. I mean, just. Never once had the biggest shot on the court. Never. But, like, master fundamental. Like, you knew that it was just going to suck. You knew he was going to annoy you. You knew that there was just going to be some sort of friction. But you also knew if you played really well that you would probably win. Yes. If you played average, you would probably lose. But it was the fact that it was on your racket. You know, Roger takes your the, the racket out of your hand so many times that it's like, hey, listen, I played a great point. He came up with something, operation successful, but the patient died. Yeah. You know, that's almost easier to deal with than something like, fuck, like it was on, it was on me. It's on me. Yeah. yeah and, you know, it's and, and so Hewitt was a disaster. Like he was, I, you'd be nervous before you went out. You knew he's just chomping at the bit, like just yeah. brutal. So he was, he is, he is an animal. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is there one match that stands out in your mind as the best match you've ever played in your life? Not like versus Fed. I mean, like, yeah. it could be versus the number 200 guy in the world, but yeah. you're just unstoppable that day. I don't know. Um, uh, I played pretty well against Murray before I lost to Fed in the 09 Wimbledon. He was the actual betting favorite that year. Mm-hmm. And I remember waking up that morning, uh, and a paper was sitting out on uh, the house we rented at Wimbledon, and they were previewing the Murray-Fed final, but we hadn't played the semis yet. Wow. And I was pissed. Wow. I'm like, man, I've like I've I've been in the finals here before twice. Like yeah. I've been in the semis, but you know, it's I'm like, all right. So I was pretty pissed. Uh that was a good match. Um the US Open final was a pretty good match. I kind of dominated that from start to finish. Versus Ferrero. Uh versus Ferrero. Yeah. Um yeah, there were some Davis Cup matches that, that I played well, but I, I don't think there was one where it was like this was the day where I played great. Best, yeah, yeah I, I I don't know. I you, you you play well and you kind of, I think you 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 get in that place where you feel like you have complete control of everything probably for like five percent of your career. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, what was it like? You beat Sampras when you were eighteen yeah. years old. If you know from an outsider's point of view, 
that feels like a pivotal moment in sure. someone's career mentally mm-hmm. to be like the torch has been passed to me. I can play at these leagues at a different level than I thought maybe I could. Like Sampras, one of the greatest of all time. Was there something mental that changed for you there, or was it just like another win? Uh, yeah, there there were a lot of no. It's definitely not another win. Yeah. I mean, it's it, he was like an idol of ours. Um, you know, it was uh. So you win your first round. I remember I beat a guy named Harrell Levy, who was a good player. He's like 50 in the world. I'm like, okay, top 50 win. Like, mm-hmm. I think I was ranked 130 at the time. I had won some challenger titles, which is like the minor leagues, mm-hmm. be like AAA baseball. Um, so people were pointing at me. There was some hype. I was the number one junior in the world uh, the year before. So I'd won some grand slams. So it's like, this is like the next guy. Like, yeah. hopefully, like, you know, but you build up a lot of guys and then they don't really get there. So <laughs> beat him. And then I played a guy named Marcelo Rios, who was a former number one. Course. Uh, great player, complete uh, asshole. Um, <laughs> Was he really? Oh, he's the worst. So I'll tell you the story on how that ended. We're getting to Pete. Yeah. But so I beat him pretty easily, mm-hmm. like four and one. I'm going. All right. Well, that's a that's convincing. And this guy was, you know, at the time he was like 20, but I'm like, this guy's, you know, good. And then I play Pete, yeah. and it's the first time I've ever played a live match on ESPN. Um, and I come out and it, it's it's coming off pretty hot and I feel good and you win the first set I'm like, all right. And the whole time I can't get over this. I'm looking like you're having to fight these moments where it's like you're in the moment and you're trying to execute and it's just tennis and you've been playing it your entire life. And then I look over and he's doing the thing where he's flicking the sweat off of his eyebrow. I'm like, I have watched this my entire <laughs> life. The thick eyebrows. Yeah, it's like he, he's walking around like a head kind of hanging. He's doing the little little the little. <laughs> pump fake thing before a serve and lifting the toe up and i'm going shake it off man like you got to get rid of it like i like all i wanted to do is like ask him for like a picture <laughs> and then uh end up winning i'm going all right like i i can i can beat the best players in the world so that yeah you, you picked probably the match that i would have picked it was like where was it pivotal to where uh it went from i can make a living to like i can win on tour and went on tour like really young yeah and this could be like a thing um that's awesome and so uh that was probably the match that i would have picked you know kind of but also knowing that you can step up like on tv in a full stadium uh you know at that point he had won that tournament a million that's 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 on pete's terms yeah you know you're you're the, you're the guest in that situation um so you don't you can't really answer those questions until you do it of and course. so from then on it's like okay stadium i got it no problem you yeah. know so you you know, the only way you can be sure if you can do something is if it's been if you've done it, right? Um, 100%. You know, so it was it was a bit of a blur, but that was that was a good day. It's like the new uh, you see the new Nike ad where it's just crazy until you actually do it. Yeah, that's right. It's awesome. Um, I looked up the head to head matches. You actually had uh, dominated the Pete Sampras head to head, but you had more trouble with Agassi. Yeah. Talk to me about matchups in tennis. Like it's everything, right? It's all matchups, and so in in a, it's, you see the parallels. Like Pete, I didn't mind because it was, you know, obviously he was great. And let's preface this with I beat him in some smaller tournaments, and he beat the shit out of me one time at the Open. The right. last time he won, I mean, it was like it was like, all right, I'm Michael, you're Tito. Like just <laughs> let me put you in your place. You piss off until <laughs> later, um, you know. But he, uh, I, I didn't mind because I felt like I could hold serve. Yep. You know, he would kind of just let go of return games sometimes and you know it's just a matter of you, you try to get a break we're each just kind of trying to trying to scrape but from the baseline i felt like i could get at his back in a little bit yep. i had a big you know big kick serve which he didn't like returning um inside out forehand yeah so the the matchup uh w- was different like you know pete 
matched up great against Andre yeah, throughout it. their career. Love that matchup. I hate it because Andre could handle my serve. Yeah. And once we got to neutral, he's just better. Understood. He has, he has, he has a better skill set. So it was easy. It was way harder for Pete to get to neutral against my serve than it was for Andre. And so, uh, you know, that's the matchup. It's the same. Like, I had, I had a winning record against Djokovic. Uh, my record against Roger was a disaster. Mm. But Novak has a winning record over Roger yep. as, as it stands currently. So it, it, you're, you're correct. It's, it's like you get to a certain level, and then it's just you, you're, you're hoping you can get the matchup. Yeah, which is interesting because Djokovic has one of the best return of serves ever. Yeah. So you'd think that if he was able to neutralize your serve like Agassi could, that it would be a similar situation. Yeah, but it's situation. also if you get it like I, I felt like I was going to get a chance to break him. Yeah. Roger, mm. I couldn't get a read on a serve. Yep. I, 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 he would like mix it in. He'd mix in body. I never really – he, he was – not predictable at all. Like he would played him for a decade, a decade plus, and break point down ad side. I still don't know where he's going to go, mm. you know. And so he he was able to kind of uh, mess with it. And also, Djokovic was 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 really really good. But like I could hit a chip down to him, and I knew I could get away with some stuff that I I didn't feel like I could get away with against Roger. And let's be fair, like. I was up 5-2 against Djokovic, and it was one version of Djokovic, and then he became like the world beater. Mm-hmm. He drilled me the last two times we played. Mm. So I think I retired just in time for that, for, <laughs> for, for that head-to-head. For his domination. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but I need to know for myself, the throwing away of the trophies thing, like that whole thing. Like, <laughs> what, what, like, what is that all about? It wasn't that dramatic. Um, my wife said, like, I came home and, you know, I, I – I, I don't know. We're moving, and you know, a lot of these trophies. It's like you you get one, and you know, you're in China somewhere, and it's like I was there. I have the memory. You know, I, I you would walk into our house and not know that I played tennis. Yeah. Um, you know, so I just I, I the sentiment of value is for me is like the memory of it, uh-huh. right? And it's like the guys who were I, I was there with, you know, some weird looking shaped thing that has like sponsor logos all over it. <laughs> like I. I it, it, that's not it for me. Interesting. You know, I, I in the one like I obviously have my U.S. Open. I have, I I, I don't know where one of my my Wimbledon plates is, but, um, you know, I still have one of those. I still have like, you know, and also the stuff like where people come over, they want to see it. Yeah. Like I have that stuff. Um, you know, but I don't want to say random because that doesn't do it. But like trophies that. You know, I don't know that anyone wants to, wants to see San Jose from like 2008. I would, man. I'd yeah. come over. I'd probably yeah. take it from yeah. you. Man. <laughs> well, my wife had a good point. She's like, "You're such a dumbass. You could have like given them away." Seriously? Like, yeah, I was. It was. It was. It was irrational. We were moving boxes, so it was a clutter thing more uh, than anything. Yeah, it was just like, I don't, I, and also like, I don't want people to walk into a room and it's like 30 Shrine trophies. To me. Like, don't be a douche. So, um. There we had like this. Uh, we were unloading a bunch of stuff, so we had this like just dumpster out in front of our house, and so I just walked out and just tossed them. That was it. Very very spur of the moment. <laughs> Next gen guys, the guys coming up. Do yeah. you think anyone, you know, when eventually the big four or right now the big three mm-hmm. um, move on, which it seems like they never will. Yeah. But when They're like they Benjamin do- Button, <laughs> seriously, um, when they do. Who do you think has an actual chance to be a dominant number one world player of the next gen guys? I wish Kyrgios treated tennis like a job. Um, I like. I think he's amazing for tennis. Mm-hmm. He's got. He's like. You can't take your eyes off of him. Yeah. You, know, you just don't know what he's going to do. You know, he creates more press and buzz than any guy who's ever had a career high ranking of thirteen. But not for the right reasons, in my opinion. Always fine. 
But like, you, you, listen, you're in the business of eyeballs, right? Sure. Like, you, you, like he creates it. So, and he's got the talent. Like, I would go back and replay my career with his skill set in a heartbeat. Really? Oh my god, the guy's like a the guy's a joke with what he can do with the, with a tennis racket. You know, um, Alex Verev is it seems to have a little bit of a bugaboo in slams right now. Um, but that was the book on Roger for a little while. He didn't make it past the quarters until maybe until he won Wimbledon the first time. Really? I and then he was that. then he was off and running, you know, but he lost like point being he had lost three or four quarterfinals in slams and people are kind of talking about it. And mm-hmm. he had the big win over Pete at Wimbledon, but then lost the next round in the quarters, you know, so I, I think he'll get over it. He's too skilled not to, but it, it's probably in his in his dome a little bit mm-hmm. right now, um, you know, but I, I don't know who the people are, but there's going to be a vacuum like yeah. in it and not only just with, you know, the quality of tennis, but. You know, you need people who can come carry a night session at Arthur Ashe Stadium and excite people mm-hmm. and sell sponsorships. And, you know, so that's where my concern is. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll fill. People come, you know. Ta- there's always talent. You know, the next generation's always coming. You know, who it is, that's the fun game to play. Um, but you wish they would start kind of winning slams during this period of Roger and Rafa, so that you wish there was more of like a changing of the guard as opposed to these guys all go at the same time. There's a serious void. Uh, Dominic Team is another guy who's he's going to win the French. Love. He's going to win three French Opens when when Rafa's gone. Did you see that match? Yeah, it's great. I mean, the guys the guys super and like I like Zverev goes about it the right way. Like he he works hard. Team, I don't know him personally. People love him though. He's a great reputation. Like he works hard. He's like kind of like the way you'd want those guys to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Guys will fill the void as far as between the lines, but like you can't replace like global icons, okay. you know. And 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 it was Serena also. Like I mean, it's just they better enjoy their their, their free meal when when it's here, totally. you know. Because when that goes, it's it's a it's a it'll be more of a challenge, especially without like a a huge uh, American uh, presence in this market. You know, you get to the point where Roger can sell anywhere anytime same with rafa mm-hmm. um you know that but they they need certain stars in certain markets yeah it reminds me a little bit i, I always equate it i'm a huge diehard nba guy yeah it reminds me a little bit of when michael left the sport and it felt like there was like with iverson and garnett like they were great but there was no but um, we don't have a home team which is tougher yeah like you're, you're like if you're in philly and jordan retires like you're still a philly, philly fan, fan yep. you know so we don't have a home team so we need individual stars even more than than the leagues totally yeah Yeah, that makes sense um do you think the sport has changed since you retired uh yeah i guess so i don't know um i guess it always changes um but i'm not one of those guys who's like you know every i I did a bunch of live tv and every athlete in the room is like it was better when we played i'm not that guy like yeah the players are so much better than than when we played it's always going to get better better and better uh, maybe not better than the fed nadal djokovic generation but um Seriously. yeah yeah it's it's you know it's 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 bigger business you go to the us open and it's 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 sweets and 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 fancy people and fireworks and kelly clarkson singing and you know it's it's a it's a it's, a, it's an event it's and it, you know but it's it you know that's that's the way it is top 10 tennis players of all time excluding yourself so oh i'm not i'm not close um <laughs> Gosh, I, I like in order. Or do Doesn't I just, have to. Be. I've never thought. I've never. No particular I, order. Give me that pen because I don't want to. I, I don't want to forget someone. I'm going to mess this up and then it's going to be on record. Yep. Uh, well, okay. I'm so gonna tweet it out too. That's fine. The top, the top, 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 top. Okay, so it starts with Fed. Yep. Um, Rafa, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Novak tied with Pete Sampras. 
That's insane. I didn't even think of that. So you're going to have the three guys from the same generation with <laughs> the most Grand Slams ever. So obviously uh, Pete, Novak, uh, next one. This in, is where it gets interesting. Next one on the line is Borg. Okay. Um, Laver. Uh, he respects the history of the sports, so folks. Six, that's six guys. So who do I have left? Uh, I said Pete. Um, after Borg, then it drops down to like the the eight slam category. So it's like it's like Connors, Agassi, McEnroe, uh, McEnroe, Lendl, uh, Lendl. That's see, that's where it's like you're picking like Lendl over Connors or Connors. I mean, then it's yep. Um, uh, Guga Querton. No, I love Guga, <laughs> but but you're you're talking about like um, the all timers. Four four Borg is five. Labor six. and these aren't in order, by the way. Six. Seven, eight, nine. Uh, okay, so Mac. And there you got it. I think I think that's it. I think it's. But then you're like leaving out Emerson. And and what about? I mean, Edberg. Emerson. Yeah, Edberg. Edberg Becker is great. I you know. Yeah, there's Edberg Becker. Less slams than they six slams. You know, it's hard to <laughs> leapfrog Mac. Uh, he probably wins on the total metrics. Then that's leaving out doubles. I think Lendl was probably better. Mm-hmm. More slam finals. Uh, the the hard thing is like putting Emerson in you know maybe Emerson over McEnroe, you know who's better Mac or Lendl I don't know but you're, you're I'd feel confident like with like eleven or twelve names but um you know there's nothing in between them and then you think about like you got what, Andre in there right yeah I guess he's there mm-hmm. uh what you contribute to the sport like Andre Connors he 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 made the U.S. Open a business yeah Connors by just going mental it was awesome Bonkers. it was the best people was the lose best. their minds over it. it was like he's like the forgotten man at the u.s open by the he way he really is like well on rain delays they play him constantly there's no more rain delays fair point it's a roof fair point um it kind of it, it kind of stinks because it's like all these names they're naming all the courts after all these people mm-hmm. and like he's like the u.s open guy he you know won on different surfaces and made it in 91 and the, you know the whole I wish they would kind of give him a little bit more love on site. Um, how did you actually favorite sports league besides tennis? Uh, I, I'd, I'd probably say uh, NFL. Um, but I mean, I love it all though. I like, I like baseball. I like, I like basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my favorite team is Nebraska, which is college football, mm-hmm. but I can't, I can't watch college football outside of like my actual team. Um, but you watch all, you watch all sports. I watch it all. Yeah. MJ yeah. or LeBron. So here's the thing: you have to say Michael, or other. Everyone always gets pissed, but I, I actually, I actually present the question differently to people. Okay, because they're like, "Oh, Michael rings." It's like, okay, well, you, you can't control who you play with. Like, yep. let's just stop that right now. Fair. Like, like you know, I'm not going to be told Horace Grant's better than Carl Malone. Like, let's get let's let's get out of our own way for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're a you're a GM, mm-hmm. and you get to draft one player. And you get their skill set, mm-hmm. and it's your job to surround them with whoever you want. Mm-hmm. Who are you drafting, LeBron or Michael Jordan? It makes it more interesting, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna definitely say LeBron. I think it just makes it makes you think a little bit more for sure. But there's something to be said about Michael's inability to lose and his just competitive nature and how he drove his teammates to be. So did LeBron to drive them to be better, but in a different way. It felt like almost Michael. The expectation was, if you did not know how to win, you should not be here, and I'm going to drive you out of here. Whereas LeBron does it in a different way. It's almost like I'm not like I'm just going to take it all on my own shoulders. Then, and you're going to take a severe backseat or go on the bench type of thing. The telling thing was the 
with the J.R. Smith situation when he made that um, ridiculous, ridiculous, didn't go to the hoop in game one. Do you see what you know yep. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Michael, when he went to the bench, I don't think Michael would have showed disappointment on the bench in front of everybody publicly. He would have encouraged him, and he would have found a way to go out and actually win that he game. He did punch a teammate in the face and break their nose in practice one time. <laughs> practice. That's fine. Behind the scenes. That's practice. fine. I'm just saying, like, you know. It, in game, he goes yeah, out. He definitely wouldn't show anyone up besides the broken fucking nose. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just. I think nostalgia matters when 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 people they get Thousand especially percent. I'm assuming you're 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 a Knicks fan die hard so it's like Jordan came into your house and ripped your guts out forever Every time. yeah uh, I I, I kind of tend to choose bigger stronger faster more versatile yeah. can play five positions you're an athletics guy I hear this um, even in the tennis question you're like athlete wins talent wins mm-hmm. um, you know LeBron's gonna lose a step and then he becomes a better version of Karl Malone yeah he's he's a four. He's a five, you know, so I, I, it's not a slam dunk Jordan. And I think I would probably draft LeBron just because I think you'd have to be less specific about who you put around him to make it work. I think you're drafting that makes sense. a point guard or a center or anything in between. And I think Jordan, you probably have to get a lot more specific um, with things that are maybe out of your control as far as draft picks. Yep. How did you know it was time to retire? Uh, I, I, I should have a good stock answer for this, and I, I just don't. Um, so I played my first round of the U.S. Open in 2012. Um, one, woke up the next morning. Uh, shoulder was throbbing a little bit. Um, I was worried about a match that was two days away, and I'm going, I don't know if I can physically get through who I need to get through to have lightning in a bottle to make a run you know, to a semis finals and give myself a look at the basket. Um I go, if I don't believe I can do that, it's it feels like work. Mm. And I've seen a lot of players that have gone through the last year or two and uh, have been pretty bitter about the process. And I have loved tennis since I was a kid. I loved every day I played. I loved it. You know, I, some days better than others, right? But I never had a problem lacing them up, going out, sweating, doing the hard part, doing track work, doing, like, I enjoyed it. Um I think once the belief faded, it was I made a list of reasons and to to kind of stay on tour. It was like okay, optics and money, mm-hmm. and you know the the negatives outweighed it. So I woke up that morning. I, I slept in a little bit. You know, I woke up probably like eight. My wife was out running errands or doing something, and uh, I text her. I'm like, I'm having these really weird like I, I, thoughts, and I, I I'm. I make decisions pretty quickly. Sometimes they're right, and sometimes I just made a really quick, hasty decision. Um, I was like, I need you to come come back to the hotel because I I need to to talk about something. So I talked to her about it, and she's like, well, I mean, it's like you feel guilty about what you're feeling. You just need need to, like, be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. All right? So I called my team up out of nowhere. Wow. So my coach comes up, my trainer comes up, I go, I'm I'm finished. Who was your coach at the time? Uh Larry Stefanke, yep. my trainer was Doug Spreen. And they're like, Wait, you have the second round of the US Open up. Like, what do you and I go, I'm always gonna retire at this tournament. I don't know if I can commit to working for another year. And if I don't have the advantage and my body can't take the work, you know, the, the talent divide is 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 sizable mm-hmm. with the guys I'm trying to to beat. If I can't work my way through it, then I, I don't know that I can do it. Um and so uh that was probably noon. Um, I called up 
out to the tournament and I said, uh, you know, I need a room today. And uh, press conference, I don't know, it was four or five o'clock and I retired. While you were still in the Open? In the tournament. And then I played, uh, made the second week. Wow. Um, so ended up losing to Del Potro in the, in the, during the second week. So could still play. I won two out of my last four or five tournaments. Um, but I just, I didn't, I, I think once the belief faded or the hope faded that I could, I could win a slam. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I felt like that was the end of the journey. Right. Why? Interesting. It's funny that you keep making reference to the fact that there was a, a talent gap between you and some of your mm -hmm. peers. Whereas from the outside, someone that I, I feel like I know tennis pretty well, your serve and your forehand were so natural and, and so talented that just because there were other elements of your game that maybe weren't as good as Feds or Novaks or something, it's interesting that you view yourself not having as much talent. Your hand-eye coordination is bonkers. Why do you think that you don't have as much talent as those guys? Well, it's relative to, listen, I'm not saying I'm not talented. Yeah. Like, that's not, that's, not, that's not the case. Um, you're talking about Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I'm not Mount Rushmore, um, you know, and, and it's those guys don't have weaknesses. They they move better. I had to lose 15 pounds so I could run. At what age? You know, uh, this was I was basically just trying to to figure it out. It was like 08. You know, the game was changing, movement became, so I dropped weight yeah. so I could run. It was all about wheels then. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was like a plotter. I land heavier than a lot of the guys. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't supernatural. Um, I can't hit a topspin backhand. Like I shove it and I, like I can't like if I try to my I get like this little chicken wing thing and like like no more in the world you can't toss them back in. Um, makes it even that much more impressive. Yeah, so it's 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 like you know I I can't get over on a return. I have to have my my, my switching grips on a return was like something that didn't come naturally to me. So it's you know if you're talking about the best shot, yeah, like my serve was great. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a fastball hitter. You throw him a fastball and knock it out, but you don't have to throw him fastballs. Right. Um, so I, I don't want to come off as like the woe is me. I don't have talent. I, 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 I absolutely did. Yeah. Um, but you're talking about the guys that are going to end up being the three greatest of all, time. of all time, you know, so comparable to them, yeah. I certainly felt like I was, I was fighting an uphill battle as far as what, what Rafa is able to do. The RPMs it's, it's generational. What Rafa, uh, like Roger, it's like the record's an extension of his hand. Totally. Like Djokovic's ability to change directions with a ball, he hits it up the line as easily as cross court and can get the pattern he wants anytime he wants. You know, he he he's long. He looks like Gumby. He hits on the run like he can. It's like Agassi, but with like he's the best mover in the world. Yep, it's insane. It is insane. Um, so it, it it's comparable to. It's relative. Uh, it's relative to getting to where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. There was a talent divide with who I was trying to beat. Understood. The months after retirement, <clears throat> I can tell you on a much smaller scale, obviously, when I hung up the rackets after college, mm -hmm. I felt like there was an enormous void in my life. Like literally a piece of me was missing. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what that felt for someone that took it to the level that you took it to, or you're going to tell me something that I'm like going to be blown away in here, but what were those months afterwards? What did that feel like? So I feel like I should present it a certain way. Yeah, I don't um, want you to present it that way. Um, but I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. Yeah, it was like the way to the I remember driving out of Manhattan. I went to uh, to Philly to, to play golf with a buddy of mine. And I'm like, normally it's like you, you sneak in golf and then you have to go. Then I'm worried about getting a workout in before. I'm like, wait, so I can just go play. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. And it's like we go to dinner. It's like I'm just I'm going to attack the bread basket. <laughs> I'm going to just I'm going to crush it. So I put on a quick 20. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think the thing I, I and I talk to other athletes and I, I kind of have my own 
uh, thoughts on why it's difficult. Um, you know, if, if you need need the limelight, then it's going to be hard for you. If it defines you, yep. um, it's going to be hard for you. But but I, I think one of the big differences that, that people don't talk about enough is like you retire from the game that you love. Mm-hmm. And you talked about that. I will every day of my life for the rest of my life, I will miss like the, the competition. Yeah. And I think if you <laughs> expect to be able to replace that, you're insane. Mm-hmm. So I never had that expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is when you retire, my social life never really existed on tour. I, I'm, I, I have incredible friendships, but I still stay in touch with those people and I still get to talk to them. Mm-hmm. But most people are retiring from their social lives as well. Interesting. You see guys that retire from active tennis who are coaching and traveling 40 weeks a year the next year. Like to me, it's like I, I, I can't understand that. But, you know, you retire from an NFL team, you're retiring from your best friends. Yeah. And like, what are you going to go travel to them every week? Like, it, it's a it's a different dynamic. So I don't think it's just the sport. I think you're also retiring from your social circles. Which, for me, like my best friendships and my, my most stable relationships were were my wife, were my friends, were you know, were, were at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't scared of the transition, and I had enough stuff going on during my career. So the next Tuesday, I wasn't waking up going what the hell do I do with myself? I'm like, okay, I can create more focus on the foundation or, or, or you know, other business ventures. Um, the, the best piece of advice I could give was, you know, assume you're going to retire earlier than you think. Mm-hmm. You're one injury away. And leverage your contacts, leverage your relationships, leverage access to people that are much smarter than you, ask a lot of questions, and get something going. Mm-hmm. You know, get some sort of... <clears throat> shadow of a life post-career going while you're still playing and while you're still relevant that matters um you know so i i I think i did a good job of that so when i stopped it was it it was fine like i had i had a pretty and and tennis fans sometimes get get mad at me they're like oh i'm like i loved every single day yeah and the transition was easier than I thought it was going to be. That's fascinating. You see a ton of the athletes doing that right now, obviously, yeah. particularly in basketball. I sure. Mean, LeBron with Spring Hill Productions yep. and Steph Curry and Durant. He was always going to L.A. because of that, by the way. <laughs> they all fe- – it feels like – you know, this is a big part of 137 p.m. is the fact that whether you're a musician or an athlete or whatever it is, everyone's got a side hustle or some type sure. of thing from an entrepreneur perspective. Um. I'm going to transition now to life after tennis. Yeah. So I'm representing the Andy Roddick Foundation. I know. I like it. Shirt, which, by the way, is an amazing shirt. It's a really comfortable shirt. Really comfortable yeah. shirt. And I brought you a whole swag bag of really comfortable shirts as Perfect. well. Perfect. Um, but talk to me about why you started Andy Roddick Foundation and what you see as the vision for kind it. Kind of where we're at. Um, so I, I give a lot of credit and kind of a tip of the cap backwards to people who created uh the culture of you don't want to say giving back but you know in tennis you look at people who have made huge social change you're looking at like monsters like arthur ash you know and big big deal uh billy jean king and what she's done for equal rights martina navratilova you know being the first really 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 famous worldwide famous to come out as as gay when it wasn't easy accepted. it wasn't yeah. easy right i mean it was it was very polarizing you know oh, you like to think you know now it's a lot easier especially in a, in a younger younger generation i don't think people care at all i really don't um you, you're always gonna have outliers who are you know whatever but 
you know, and you look at Andre Agassi and his work in the nonprofit space and his charter schools, he's transformed an entire side of Las Vegas. Mm. Roger Federer is a lead ambassador for UNICEF. I mean, these are big, big things all coming from, from one sport. So it's a trickle-down effect. We, we started the foundation. It's like it was typical. Like we would do a clinic and we'd give the money to worthy charities, you know, and then we kind of cycled through and we'd had big people playing and you leverage relationships. And, you know, we, we throw big galas and Elton John would come and play. But kind of where we're at now is very different than just giving away a bunch of money. I had a, 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 a interesting conversation with a dear, dear friend of mine uh, named Jeff Lau who uh, played tennis at, at West Point um works for a company called google now um heard of it yeah but so it's like 2011 i'm thinking okay i'm gonna play another three years i didn't know i was gonna play a year and he we're sitting down and he's in austin we're catching up and he says how's the foundation going i'm like oh great we had a big event last year is you know over a million dollars in a night and we're gonna get it he goes he goes all right so what's the long play and i had no answer hmm. he goes man he goes you know i've loved you for a long time he goes you're playing a relevancy game right now you stop playing People stop showing up. He goes, you got to build a like a like a foundation. You're like flat screen TVs, and you got you got cracks in your you, you know the foundation of your house. And I said, all right. So I, I left the dinner. I was kind of pissed, and I woke up the next morning. I go, I'm pissed because he's right. Mm. And so uh, we kind of started. What we're doing now is uh, there's a there's a divide between good schools and bad schools. Mm-hmm. There's a much bigger divide between haves and have nots. Uh, once the school day ends and once summer vacation starts and it's idle time and maybe a single parent home who, you know, can't provide quality, quality programs for their kids. And, you know, we take for granted going to, you know, tennis camp. It's like, that was great, mm-hmm. you know, and it, but it add, you don't realize the, 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 the value add there. So we really have focused in the kind of the out of school time space. Um, we're in three schools in Austin. Uh, we have three schools, direct service, which about 250 kids at, e- at each school after school, summer and we run 11 different sites for the city of austin uh, mm. parks and recreation uh, across the east side of austin which is uh, kind of a lower socioeconomic area um you know and so we serve over 3,000 kids this summer we have a you know full-time staff of 12 and a volunteer base in the hundreds now it's amazing um you know and you focus on things like uh you know financial literacy tech literacy sustainable food growing um we start in we start our programs in kindergarten wow and that's the common reaction because it's like most people like the like college preps a cool buzzword you know and people like that uh jail capacity in the state of texas is uh predicted on third grade reading levels what yes so they'll walk out and it's it's pretty accurate you know and and so they'll walk out what the next 20 years look like based on how you read in third grade Hmm. so it's like okay you know gosh if you start in sixth grade are you too late Mm -hmm. you know Maybe for some, no, but for a lot, yeah. So we started it. We're K through five. Um, you know, so it's been great. We're, we're making a huge difference. We've been recognized nationally and locally, and it, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great thing. Um, but our board is insane. You know, it's a bunch of execs who are, are, are entrepreneurs who have started their own. Their own uh, we, we run our foundation like a business. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're, our plan is to expand. How do we lower our cost per child while expanding? What resources do we have that are in place that we don't have to repeat? Um, so for me, it's been like, we're kicking ass. We're doing really, really good work that I have no problem bragging about. Um, but for me, it's like a free education. You know, every time we sit in a board meeting, we're having these high level conversations and these, these strategic, okay, do we try to go 10,000 kids and do a little bit or do we go deep? Our first program was for our first school was we started with 80 kids Okay. and it's like, wait, you're raising this amount of money for 80 kids. It's like, 
it it's a, it's a, it's an investment in the quality of what we're doing and it will grow and it will you know but that's a that's a hard call to make totally. and to explain so um i think we've added a lot of value selfishly i've gotten more out of it than 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 anyone right um and and it's a it's it's a need that kind of gets ignored you know it, people kind of default to buzzwords a lot of times it's like well the school system like let's help mm-hmm. let's not blame let's help let's add let's add value somewhere and so um i've gotten a lot of good advice if 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 we had followed everything i thought we should do we would have messed it up mm-hmm. um so I think going from like your selfish existence of tennis, where it's like all your call and you you know you create your own orbit, learning how to be wrong matters. Yeah, and so that's probably been the biggest lesson. Do you have aspirations to try to expand to other states? Uh, yes, I mean we I, I, open to it. Yeah. Um, I can't fundraise in twenty cities. Yeah, um, I, I just can't do it. Uh, I, I think pie in the sky idea is we create an unbelievable proof of concept in, in our backyard. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we, I, I think we've done that. I think there's still some space to do it more. Um, I, I think we take our resources. I take uh, our best practices. And if there's someone who believes in, in, in the same out of school time space, maybe there's a need for it in their city. Maybe they have the money to, to help build it. Maybe we can add value with what, yeah, then maybe we can step and repeat. I'm sure the Boys and Girls Club started in one city. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're a little bit more kind of intense and in, in, we have a focus on education. Um, but yeah, I think so. I think we have to get it right where we're at first and, uh, and, and create a, a proof of concept. But yeah, sure, down the road, uh, you know, we, we would certainly look at other markets if, if we could kind of almost do one or two stop shopping for, for the fundraising part of it. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Well, congrats on what you've built. Yeah, there. thank awesome. you. Um, you know, 137, it's all about the hustle and grind of finding success in, in multiple avenues. You've seemed to have found a niche in, in real estate. Yeah. Why'd you choose real estate? How'd you get into real estate? And what exactly is that you're doing? Yeah, right so um, again, lucky. I'm lucky with my biggest blessing in my life is is being around smart people who are good people who I can use as a reference. And I've always taken advantage of that. You always ask questions. Yeah. Oh, someone will give you time if you have a simple question on a phone call. Totally. Absolutely. They will. They'll say yes. Yep. And if they don't, the next person will. Mm-hmm. Um, my business partner is uh, a guy named Phil Myers. Um, he, uh, I've known him since I was a kid. He was my dad's business partner in the Jiffy oh, wow. Lube business a really? million years ago. Um, and so uh, he was an accountant. My dad convinced him that like he was way smarter than everyone. My dad was a farmer from Wisconsin, so he's like, listen, my hustle, I stand outside of Jiffy Lubes and I, I count cars and how many we're getting through, but like, there's stuff that's over my head. Mm-hmm. I need I need a partner. So Phil came in and, you know, was kind of the brains behind it. And so, you know, we were sitting on on uh, a lot of kind of liquid assets from tennis. Um, uh, recession hits. Um you know, we, we basically discuss them. You know, I ask him, where are the opportunities? What do you what do you see? I, I don't know. I, I know I should kind of uh, se- send out, you know, <laughs> the capital and take advantage of, you know, whatever it is. Out there. He goes, well, you know, there, there's some some funds. We probably want to get a little more liquid. Um, so we kind of made a move and we were in this niche uh, triple net lease space, which basically means uh you know, we'll buy buildings that we were, we, I guess our expertise would be like site locations. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we, we have our metrics and what the median income is within three miles and uh, stoplights. If people are stopping and starting, they're more likely to see what you're doing or, you know, 
the Starbucks you 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 own or you know the, the Home Depot or you know the the, the bank building. Um, so we kind of researched that pretty thoroughly. Um, we signed long-term leases. It's 15, 20 years, uh, you know, escalators. Uh, we bet on them staying in the building, mm. you know, because we've picked a good site. Mm-hmm. So we have escalators every couple of years, uh, you know, and, and, and so we'll, we'll get lines of credit. We'll use uh, half the profits to pay that down aggressively. Uh, we view that as uh, as equity. And as long as the real estate at least maintains value and over time it's going gonna, it's gonna to go up if you pick the right spot. And then, you know, we kind of have uh, – you know, whatever the kickoff is. And that's what we love off of uh, monthly cash flow. And so, um, you know, we were buying buildings at 50 or 60% of what they were a year before. Um, So then we didn't need the money yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know, you can sit and wait. If you pick quality real estate and you have the ability or the benefit of being able to wait and not need the money in a year or two, you're going to look smart at the end of it. And so we're in, we're in 12 different states now. And, you know, we, tend to go where uh, taxation is a little bit more beneficial for us. Um, so not a lot of buildings in New York, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's done well. We're, you know, 40 some odd properties in 12 States and it's been, uh, it's been a pretty fun road. I, I think I started just completely getting coached um, by my business partner. Um, and now it's, it's, it's kind of morphed into where it's, it's, it's a partnership and yeah. we've kind of, parlayed that into a, you know, kind of a angel investment fund with startups. And, you know, Phil's going, wait, what is it, tech company? Like what, he likes to see the cash flow equals this, A, B, C equals E. He's like, you know, y- y- your business would blow his mind. It's like, okay, we have eyeballs and market, but how do you value that? You yeah. can't just suck that valuation out of your thumb. Like what do you mean? He wants to see it. So it's been, it's been kind of fun. He taught me so much and now I'm kind of, you know, not teaching him, but like he's interested and he's like, well, why, why is this going to work? I go, eyeballs man like yeah. or like it's gonna work like give it time or sc- the scalability of it you know so it's been a it's kind of kind of been a fun transition and it's uh you know keeps me busy that's awesome um it sounds like there was trust there already with phil i don't is- know that i ever had like a formal godfather but he he, he would have been it you yeah. know he's my dad's most trusted ally um it's such a big deal. I never had that nightmare athlete story where they got taken to the cleaners or, you know, there was, there was a lack of trust. And, but one of the big things that like, if I'm giving an athlete advice on anything in business, never, ever put your money somewhere where the person you're with doesn't have their own cash. Interesting. Phil's in, he's a partner. Yeah. You know, I, I, I I own most of the company, but he, he's in, it goes shit. Like he's just as depressed as I am. Like you have to like, advice is one thing but like advice where it's like hey i'm going in on this this is what i'm putting up ask someone what they're putting up mm-hmm. you know ask them how invested they are uh you're more likely to come out on the good side and you're not going to get taken to the cleaners by someone trying to use your money to hit a home run and then brand themselves off of that that play mm-hmm. um angel investing you mentioned angel investing. What are some things that you're really excited about that you you've, you're an angel in right now? Um, so I, I have a list because I always forget them. Uh, <laughs> uh, William Murray is a, is a retail brand. Um, I, I had a nice. Uh, I was part of a nice exit with a brand called uh, Travis Matthew, um, which uh, exited to Callaway for uh, 125 million. Um, but there's a, there's a lane that I kind of like yeah. uh, with former athletes. It's like, you know. I, Post career, it's like finding a clothing brand, and you know they'll they'll pay you an obscene amount of money for for a lot of people, but I, they also want you to show up twenty times a year in Paris, and I just wasn't willing to do that. Mm. And so the the conversation with Travis Matthew is basically like, okay, I need terms that represent the value add that I can give to your company, but I want to put in my own capital. 
So give me favorable terms on on my investment based on what I can add with visibility, you know, everything else. Uh, and if we get to a sweetheart deal, you can have as much of my capital as you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a real lane for retired athletes. Um, and so we're trying to kind of repeat that with with William Murray, which is uh, uh, William Murray stands for Bill Murray. It's the only worldwide licensing deal that that, that he has really? with his brothers. Um, and it's kind of in the golf space, but it's, you know, it's like Bill Murray. Who doesn't like Bill Murray? Um, <laughs> so uh, we're also in a, a, a brand out of uh, Austin called Outdoor Voices. Yeah, I know um, Outdoor Voices. Which is kind of like a... I know it fairly well, actually. Yeah, yeah, doing things and... That's cool. Ty's done it. Uh, so the way we do real estate is extremely old <clears throat> old school. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a great business for us. It's super reliable, creates cash flow, it's comfortable. Um, you're never going to go 10 X in a year. It doesn't work that way, but it's, it's an awesome business. But, uh, one of my things was like, what's the next thing? What's like, how, how's tech going to be applied to what we're doing, Mm -hmm. you know, businesses. And so there's a company out of Austin called ideal spot, which basically, you know, if if you need a location in Austin, you know, it's almost like a Zillow for, for commercial real estate. So connecting locations with brands, but not having to like drive around town. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like Zillow. You plug in three bedrooms. I need this. Like so, if you're Starbucks, you need an end unit for a drive-through. You can plug that in space. Hmm. So Ideal Spot's awesome. I think that's going to be a, a monster. I love that. Uh, kind Financial, which is basically the infrastructure in 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 the marijuana business. Uh, so seed to sale. You don't ever touch product, um, but it's basically just. Uh, uh, organizing, being a proper infrastructure. Right now, people are like, it's legal in California. People are just carrying cash around. Yep, it's insane. Banks don't want to get involved with it. So, uh, as it gets, you know, I, I think it'll eventually be legal in the majority of states. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's just screaming for an infrastructure play that can connect uh, these businesses to banks to. You know, is that a software or that's an infrastructure, like actual physical infrastructure? Uh, so- software, yeah, and I mean, it, it's it has a lot of iterations but it's 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 a it's a company i i I believe in strongly uh tiff streets is a company out of uh austin texas Uh, it's a warm delivery uh warm cookie delivery company um they've raised on 150 million dollar valuation and that was on 38 tiny stores wow um and it's just simple they unbelievable product great 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 cookies and they deliver them to you and so it's really kind of taken off in offices. So instead of buying flowers for someone, you send them Tiff's treats, like beautiful packaging, great bow. Um, Just in Austin right now? Uh, no, so they're in Austin. Uh, they're they're all over. So they're like in Texas, they're Houston. Uh, I want to say Dallas. Uh, biggest location is, uh, which really excites me, is in is in College Station. Mm. So the college market is ripe, huge. Like, and it's you know rents are lower, and so if that if that's our biggest store, and you know it's the it's the one that costs the, the, the least, it, it's a, that's a good play. Uh, I've expanded to uh, to uh, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's five stores in Atlanta. I think there's three stores in Nashville, and uh, I think there are eyes on Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, for expansion. But that's you know awesome. they want to you know they want a thousand stores, and they're at forty two, and already have that number. So it's a it's a pretty impressive business. So Brooke and I are. Uh, uh, in on that, um, her company Finery, yeah. uh, which is which is really cool. She's done a really good. My wife has done a really good job. It's basically like, uh, you know, you think about what iTunes, um, uh, what music looked like before the organization of iTunes yep. and the ability to buy directly from iTunes, um, but f- kind of for your wardrobe. And she'll, I, I butcher this every time. She'll get pissed, <laughs> but um, you know, basically they they uh, they have a patent uh, that can parse emails and basically put. Anything you've bought online mm-hmm. uh, in the last ten years, straight into a very, very good-looking, organized wardrobe, 
uh, which from there you can mix and match outfits. Uh, there'll be like a, eventually be like a trading market with your friends that's if awesome. you want to get rid of something. Uh, but they have a lot of data. Yep. You know, they know what people are buying, and that's that's that certainly has a value of its own. Um, but it's uh, it's really cool to kind of see her. She's raised money in Silicon Valley and mm-hmm. has done really well. And uh, I know you've you've done some stuff with her with PureWow, um, which is uh, she's always grateful for. So um, you know that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm investor in Wheels Up. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and just other stuff. So th- nothing, whereas the real estate, we do not deviate from yep. like our strategy. If someone comes in, it's like warm cookie delivery. Like I, what the hell do I know about that? But Leon and, and, and Tiffany Chen, they're unbelievable. You hear them talk about like operations and, you know, reinvesting. It's like, yeah, I, I like you guys. Like cookies are great. Mm-hmm. I like you guys. You're betting on the jockey. Uh, I think so. I, I think I have to understand the idea mm-hmm. and, and, and understand how it, it scales. That's a big thing, um, but execution, people, uh, you know, I leave and I'm like, yeah, okay, so this business is great and I want access to your next five deals. That's yep. the kind of person mm-hmm. like I want to be uh, associated with. So it's, it's just been really fun. And, you know, kind of the real estate gave us the opportunity to jump into this this kind of separate family. I don't know what the hell you call it, but our, our interest in, in, in other deals. Yeah. Watching your wife as an entrepreneur must be wild to yeah. see someone that you've known your whole life yeah. transform into this boss. Yeah. Talk to me how that has kind of how she has changed since she started this venture versus what you knew of her before she started this venture. I don't know that she was that interested in business like five years ago. Yeah. And she's so damn good at it. She has great instincts. She's a great relationship maker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has the ability to make everyone kind of feel good, but her instincts are, are amazing. And and also she she's good at asking questions if she doesn't know the answer. She's like, I'm co-founder of a tech company. I don't know. Like, she had to learn like tech verbiage. Totally. You know, so, so did she, I, by the way. She kind of, <laughs> yeah, so she kind of she jumped in. But um, I, I also realized she showed me that like you, basically anyone, I think the word entrepreneur gets thrown around too much. Yep. Um, I am not an entrepreneur. I am an investor. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to sm- follow smart ideas, smart money, but I'm not a builder. Mm-hmm. I'm not a creator. Um, you know, the real estate's buying and selling. It's not creating a product. It's not, you know, starting with nothing and then you create PureWell or, mm-hmm. or you know, or, or this company or whatever else. She's an entrepreneur. Like she cares. Le- she doesn't want to know what I'm going to get out of it. She wants to build something awesome mm-hmm. and. I want to know what I'm gonna get out of it. <laughs> like this, it's 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 very different. So I she's I probably would have called my myself like some sort of entrepreneur two years ago. I'm not that, and yeah. and she's proven that. I, I kind of see what it looks like close up, and she's she's a badass man. She's like on a show. She's still on a Netflix show. They're going into their 27th season. You know, ever <laughs> you know, and, and then so we're out there a little bit, and then she's working in L.A. And then she co-founded a company in New York, and then we live in Austin and. We visit North Carolina a lot, you know. So she and she just does it all. Oh, by the way, we have a kid who's three and a, a daughter who's nine months. Who, you know, we've we've only been apart from uh, our son two nights in three years. Wow! So it's like she just does it. She just kind of amazing. She decides the answers, yes, and then figures it out. It's 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 really cool to watch. Yeah, that's really cool. And I do think there's an actual interesting parallel between entrepreneurship and being an athlete, though, because you had to invest in yourself and sure. that same work ethic that maybe an entrepreneur puts in day in day out you're putting that same work ethic in as an athlete which is why i do think a lot of times 
athletes succeed in the business world when you do give them a chance to to shine there because there's there's a certain work ethic and refusing to lose mentality that you want to walk through walls in order to succeed so don't cut yourself short too much on being yeah, well I, I i do see the i guess my startup started when i was like six exactly you're playing tennis and i don't have i don't have the energy to do it again like you, <laughs> you entrepreneurs are insane <laughs> Um, we're going to wrap up soon. I'm curious as a father, cause I'm a father of sure. two as well. Are you going to encourage your kids to play tennis? Uh, no. I, so if they love it, then I, I'm not going to tell them no, mm-hmm. but if they're like, Oh, let's go play tennis. I go, let's, let's like go play golf first. <laughs> you know, let's go do somewhere. You're not going to be alone in a hotel room for the next 15 years of your life. Uh, you know, like, I, you know, I, I, you know, to where it's like, you know, you get the commentators and they only think like four players on earth are good. Yep. You know, it's it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. And, you know, if you make it to the top of the game and you're you're marketable, then it's awesome. But like there's like four people at any given time that have that yep. in tennis. In other sports, it's a lot different, mm-hmm. you know, and you can work past a certain age. And it's it's hard. Tennis is really hard. Um, You know, so. I, I, so is golf. I think. Well. You know, you see what they make in the minor leagues for winning a tour event. It's more than the seventy two hundred bucks you win if you win a challenger tournament against really good players. In golf, it is. I'm yeah, not that familiar. I with think it. at a certain point, and this may have changed, but I remember we used to look at basically a uh, million dollars in golf versus a million dollars in tennis. And I want to say there were in a given year. Now it's way more. Mm-hmm. But when 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 I was playing, and the prize money's gone up in slams, but it was like like twelfth on the prize money list in tennis was equal to like a hundred. Really. In golf, so tennis has a really good trick of announcing a winner's check. That's insane. Like, yep. you know, someone's going to win the U.S. Open and they're going to announce like a four million dollar check, but like that doesn't trickle down as much as it should. They they kind of big splash headline, but you know, you're 80 in the world and you're paying for all of your own expenses, traveling around the world. You have to hire a coach. You have to hire this, that, and the other. You're not flush. Yeah. You know, a lot of my friends who are 70 in the world are getting job i mean it's not like you're flush forever you know whereas you know you're you're 50 in the world in baseball you make an all-star team Yep, it's a lot different it is a lot different um a few principles your north stars that you live by just kind of your your motto what advice would you give the audience in terms of just the successful mindset how you got to where you are there are a few sound bites you'd leave behind uh tough on the spot i i hear uh another podcast i listen to uh guy named tim ferris does a yeah. good job he says if you had a blank billboard that people would drive by what would you put on that billboard mm-hmm. and mine would be add value you know if if you're into family and that's what add value to that if you're into business add value don't just always take mm-hmm. you'll be better served and also take the long view on things i think with uh with information everything happens so quickly the the process uh, gets ignored. People want a quick, quick. They want to get to the end goal quicker. Mm-hmm. You know, there is value in in learning something and taking your time and asking. And you know, I I, I just it, just don't be scared to take the long view because it'll it'll serve you very 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 well sooner than if you kind of go short route short route short route short route short route. And ten years on, you're still doing that. Yep. Um. So make the long view a habit as opposed to taking the shortcut. Um, add value is my favorite thing. Wake up in the morning. You're with your kids that day. Add, add value. value. You know, you you have a business meeting. Try to add value to that business meeting, and not just like walk in and be like, "How am I going to benefit right away? Like, how can I help you? How is this going to work for both of us?" Um, that would probably be like that. That's something I try to keep in the back of my mind. 
you know, my business partner, Gary Vaynerchuk, has a very, very similar mindset. He yeah. walks into business meetings. He's always looking to see how he can help the other person across the table before even ever thinking about how he I've, can I've been in a meeting with him, and it's it, that's absolutely true. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, wait, I, I can do this. Does that help you? You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 can, I own this. I, I, I can do this, mm-hmm. you know, but does that help you at all? I'm not sure. You know, he's, he's, he's conscious of both sides of the equation, which I think is why he's been successful. Well, this has been awesome, Andy. Ryan, I, I enjoyed it. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure for me, and uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, it was awesome. That was Andy Roddick, the last American Grand Slam champ. You can keep up with Andy on Twitter at, at Andy Roddick and follow all of the great things the Andy Roddick Foundation is doing on their Facebook page, the Andy Roddick Foundation. Thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate your time. 1.37 p.m. live from the bar cart signing off. If you want to own your future, start this minute. This is 1.37 p.m. If you want to own the future, start this minute. Live from the Bar Cart is a Gallery Media Production.